Mescalero. As you probably know by now, you're listening to a podcast. You get a chance for some of the unique stories out there um, to be heard and, if anything, inspire our community. today a uh, special guest we have Gabe Aguilar um, he just got elected as our new president for the Mescalero Apache tribe and we asked Gabe here so we can just have a conversation and um, kind of get some of the some of the public used to hearing his voice and um, just talk about things and, and see where he's at uh, it's not it's, this isn't going to be a anything driven by any political reasons we're not trying to prove a point here we're just trying to get to know you um this podcast that we have going on it's not how would you say there's not a true objective to it but what we are trying to do with it is just spread a lot of the positive things that are going on with the community and right now one of the positive things that we have um, going on is it's it's not real new but it's kind of new is your your election as president um so in the room, we have Chris Frizzell. He's working our our audio. Hello, everybody. Good to be here again. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Chris. Good to see you, Chris. Yeah. First and off, congratulations, Gabe. How's it going? It's going good. It's been a real exciting year. Tomorrow will be my 30th day in office. <clears throat> 30 days is not a lot of time to make a lot of change, but it's a lot of time to get to know the workers and get to know the staff and get my foot get my feet wet you know that's awesome do you have questions lined up blue or should we just... yeah i kind of got a few lined up but okay. um i don't want this to sound like it's you know question driven i yeah. kind of want to just um let this sound you know natural and there, when yeah. this is over i think the most of us are gonna start thinking in there in our heads on our in our drive home oh i should have said this <laughs> i wish it would. it's not gonna go the way that we're gonna want it to go yeah. so let's just have fun and um get this podcast out out of out of the way here. Um, so right now, uh, my first question: Where did you grow up? I grew up here in Mescalero all my life. All your life. Uh, what what neighborhoods did you live, did you grow up in? I grew up at the Apache Summit. Apache Summit. Uh, yes. Oh, uh, how would you say? Uh, what what type of childhood did you have growing up? You know, the childhood I had growing up. Um, it was really. Um, I want to say, awesome because. My neighbors were like family. My neighbors, if I didn't have something, they had it. Like many times growing up, I used to hear um, a knock at the door, and it would be my next door neighbor, and they asked me, "Hey, do you happen to have two eggs, or do you happen to have um, sugar or grease, or you know, even such thing as coffee?" You know, and we cared enough about it, one another, to to share, to loan, and to um, help help each other's out. You know. Sometimes I wonder where that might have went, you know, yeah. nowadays, because I look at the society now, and if somebody was to do that, you're going to be like, Eddie, you know, or <laughs> what, yeah, are you going to be like, um, how dare they ask me for eggs when I did this, but, um, you know, I grew, I was lucky to grow up in a neighborhood where everybody helped one another. You had some kids your age right there growing up? Right? Yes. Yeah. I had, 
I had um, I was really next door neighbor. I was really close with the Wheelers, mm-hmm. Ox Wheeler, Ray Wheeler, Harry Wheeler Jr. Bear. That's um, what I was going to ask you about. You always talk um, highly of these guys, and you always talking. You always helping out, um, promote. Like whenever Ox Wheeler has something going on, you, you always talk positive about those guys. So that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Is just growing up with those guys, and yeah. they were your childhood friends. Um, you know, you guys, you guys grew up outside. You, you played. You live the the normal reservation life um how do you how do you feel that that's kind of changed today you know now now we're kind of living in a time where technology is driving everything and it's been it's been affected everywhere even in the reservation um but you know and and i'm sure i don't want to date you or anything (laughs) but your time the time you grew up in you know everyone was outside and playing yeah i mean i remember um leaving my house about 8 30 or 9 getting on our bikes going on the back trails you know going for rides Maybe coming in for lunchtime, maybe, or sometimes not eating all day, mm-hmm. playing with your friends and out there riding bikes, out there trying new hills, um, experiencing a lot of things. And when I was a kid, I was lucky enough for to have a little moped, a little motorcycle. Yeah. It was an old school one. I mean, you could hear the muffler going down the road, <laughs> but um, I was lucky enough that we'd take turns and ride it and we go out there and we call it a death ride because every time you got on it, you hit a little bump, you felt like you're gonna <laughs> get knocked off. But um, it was it was really like we were out there breathing the air. We we're out there running through the the grass. You know, sometimes you run into a branch, but you but you knew how to survive. Yeah, I want to say that nowadays I'm gonna encourage the parents to let their kids play outside because what I'm reading is and what I'm seeing is that people are not. People are not allowing their um, kids to be out, you know, in the fields or in the mountains and stuff. So they don't get the chance to um, interact with any, um, you know, I want to say flowers. That's where all the sicknesses come and all the, you want to say, asthma or allergies. It's not because they're not connecting with nature like we did as kids. Right. We jumped in the mud. You know, we seen a mud puddle. That was fun to us, you know. Nowadays, they're... On their phones. Yeah, on their, kids phone. on their phone. Right. And a lot of kids, they're suffering from depression. I noticed mm-hmm. there's a lot of kids who are on anxiety pills. And this yes. Thing. But I read I read somewhere, and even a doctor confirmed it, that if you take a walk, like a 15-minute walk in nature is just as good as, as take, or better than taking a depressant pill. It, mm-hmm. it uh, opens up your, uh, it t- sends dopamine to your brain. Mm-hmm. So it's always good to get out in nature and just like enjoy the enjoy what we have you know we're blessed to have this here and going back to that blue you t- we talk about what we did as kids that was an everyday thing and now his society has turned even for tribe members where you walk out in the woods that's like a getaway you know instead of what we're used to you know right. what, what we grew up you know that was part of life yeah. you know and now we're saying i'm going camping we were camping every day. Yeah. You know, I was sleeping outside our houses, and we would set up um, our tent and build forts and sleep out there, you know, not scared of anything. I remember I slept outside the house in a sleeping bag one day under the stars, like, when I was, like, 13 years old. But would I do that now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, that's one of the things that, um, you know, times have changed. And Right. And we, uh, I noticed that we always like to go reflect on that and talk about, how times times have changed and they're not what they used to be but uh, i still yeah i try to do my best to maintain a positive attitude about what we do have that's good today and today it's just it's just a little bit harder to to recognize those things and so i'm i've been trying to be more aware of it but 
it's easier to look back and say, oh, <clears throat> it was it was way better back then, back in the day, back when we were growing up, when we were kids. And I see a lot of that, but I think uh, I'm trying to do my best just individually as a, as a my own person is to appreciate what we have good um, that's going on today. I think one of the things that's really good about today is our connectivity. It's really awesome to be able to just, I remember dialing the old 671 whatever to call my, my grandfather to come pick me up for the day. <laughs> uh-huh. And that was the only form of communication. But now you can see what everybody's doing. Everyone's, even everyone's grandma has cell phones mm-hmm. and grandmothers are on Facebook. We, we're so connected. And I'm not trying to um, promote technology in, in a way like that. I'm just saying that it's it's really awesome to be connected all the time. I was, I was able to text you guys on the way here today and say, hey, I'm, I'm running late. But back, uh, you know, when we were growing up, I wouldn't have been able to do that. You guys would just have to hope that I showed yeah, we, up. We used to have this, uh, remember when we used to have the dial up to Maddie, connect to, yeah. to MATI, yeah. and you heard that noise? And then, it, yeah, one thing about technology is you can send like a picture to somebody all the way across the world and they'll get it within seconds, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. With, with minutes. Or so. I think it's all about balance. I think, you know, we have to, we have to, be balanced ourselves exactly mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very I'm very interested in, the, in how we spend our time you know like mm-hmm. listening to Gabe talk about he used to write that um, that old moped motorcycle type deal and then when I was growing up me and my cousin me and my cousins we would um, we would strip the batteries out of those old power wheels and push them down the hills <laughs> until someone started crying And uh, but you know if, if we can just do do a good job we all gotta do a good job I got kids and so I'm real cognizant of it and I'm trying to you know my son he's gonna be 11 this year and he's he wants to be on his PlayStation and all this stuff. So you got to give him that hour time. Like, hey, look, you can get an hour in a day, but you have to be outside for the other two hours or whatever it is that's left in the evening. And, and so he, he does a good job about it. But it's hard for us being in Las Cruces, you know. Yeah. Here in Mescalero, all I would like to say is, like, live that life. Hang out with your friends. Ride that moped. Because any time, you know, like, I had to leave for a little bit to um, join the military and, and get my education. But, um now I realize how precious home is. And hearing your story, you're talking about the, the, the old times. Those are my favorite stories, you know. And it just, it takes me back a little bit. <clears throat> um, who, who are your parents? My parents is Tino Aguilar and Harriet Aguilar. Okay, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever met them. Yes, my dad's a blackjack dealer at the end of my guys. Oh, okay, I'll keep a, I'll yeah. keep a lookout for him. I'm sure I've seen him somewhere. Yeah. He's probably seen I him. see him every day. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. He's got, yeah. He's got to be he's got to be proud, like, not too often. Like, if I grew up and my son became president of anything, you know, like, mm-hmm. president of the tribe, that that's a big deal. You know, you know, when you start out to be the president, I, I didn't start out to be the president. I don't, I, I still ask myself how things happen, but, um, you know, in life, you, no matter what you want to be, you got to be the best at it. You know, you got to say one day I might want to be a, a chef, you know. I had a dream of being a, a barber, you know, from my because I was in the Marines and I love to get haircuts, you know, and you, every week we had to have a haircut for inspections, you right. know, in the Army. We never could have our hair all bushy and anything, but I got to the point where I started liking it. And yeah, I was thinking one day, I mean, I just love to give the people the, the, the feeling that I would get walking out the chair, or, you know, or feeling clean cut, you know. It's not, it's not too late. You can still make it happen. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> with um, with your... So you grew up at the summit. Did you go to school in uh, Mescalero or... Actually, I went to Mescalero school until our school burned down in <laughs> the 90s. And then after... The, oh, actually, it was in... I think it was in the late 80s. You but, were one of the first graduating classes. Yeah, I, I was. I, I actually went to Redoso my 
freshman, junior, I'm a freshman, sophomore, and junior year. And then my senior year, Mescalero opened up. So I ended up transferring back to Mescalero. We went, our school is in the portables now where the apartment building is. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe there was about 17 kids, and we ended up graduating maybe 13. So mm-hmm. that I went with, and it was very interesting. It was back in 1996. I was the first graduating class. <clears throat> I remember sitting in the class as we were doing it. We were picking the colors of the school. <laughs> so, we, so we looked at Cloudcroft, green and white. We looked at Redosa, blue and yellow. We looked at Captain Orange and White. We looked at Tularosa Maroon. So yeah. we kind of threw everything together, and then all of a sudden, purple and white, black came out. And you know, this is Chiefs color. Yeah. You know, this who, is who came up with the mascot, the Chiefs. Where did that come about? Oh man, I can't even remember on that one because there were just so many people that were doing input, and there was like surveys going on, and yeah. I think the community were trying to find something that fit Mescalero. You know, yeah. and that was it was really awesome. You know that. To be the first graduating class, when I walked out, we had our graduation in the community center. When I walked out, I remember Wendell Chino shaking her hands. You know, like as we walked out, that if I could go back to that point, man, it would—it's amazing. You know, and I've, to have him say good job, to have him speak up there. You know, and you know when you're a young man, you you don't you don't really understand you what you're going through. It. Yeah, so the kids that um, are seeing things now. They might tell their kids, man, back in the day, this person did this for me. Or just, you know, so I'm, what I'm going to tell the kids is to cherish everything you learn in your childhood. Because it's going to teach you a lesson later. Right. You know, you know, so that's one thing that if I could tell people, I mean, I wish we could have filmed it. You know, our graduation. <laughs> because, I mean, a packed house in the gym, I don't think the gym can hold maybe three, four hundred. Yeah. You know, but... It was a packed house. With really? Chairs. That many people to watch the, the 13 people yeah, graduate? Right. Mostly because it's the first graduating class. Yeah, that's so, and then we started off, and then sooner or later, we got the big school up there. That's so, a huge step that you're a part of. You're part of something that was big because, um, you know, all the reservations that had to suffer what they suffered um, after the wars with the, with the government now you can look back and you can say you know i was part of that that first breakthrough that mm-hmm. first class and i think that's pretty pretty special right there um something definitely to be noted um which is which is one of the reasons that i wanted to start this podcast because mm-hmm. i think there's so much good yeah, things out there that we never get to think about that we never get to sit back and appreciate and now we can you know release some of this audio to, to the rest of the world and let people listen to actually mm-hmm. how special that that actually was yeah. Um, and I'm actually happy that you guys picked purple. Mm-hmm. I love that color. Um, I know I went around trying to play sports for Thule, then I would I would go back to Mescalero, then I was just trying it out. But you know I ended up graduating Mescalero. That's that's just the way. That's just the path I had to take. But I remember mm-hmm. putting on that purple jersey, mm-hmm. and it was special. Like yeah. I just mm-hmm. felt good. I don't think I could have felt that way you putting on any other color. You put on that purple jersey and you run out to your own people. Like you're running around and. <clears throat> you get your your hometown cheering for you the reservation you got that chief head on it's amazing mm-hmm. it's a special feeling and yeah. I, I really um i really hope that a lot of people can can put aside their their differences and build my my, my late grandfather john shendel he always wanted that um all of the reservation students to go to the to go to the mescalero patch high school and and to and to support that cause because he felt that there were so many good athletes and there were so many smart students going to other schools. He said, if we could just combine all of our brightest minds and put them into one place, mm-hmm. we can build a great thing. Mm-hmm. And he really, he really loved that idea. Um, so I hope one day 
we can we can put aside that um, it's it's not it's not a taboo, but there's there's some kind of feeling. I I would even go as far as say like a negative feeling that some parents have. They're like, I'm not going to let my kid go to go to Mescalero school. And <clears throat> I don't think it's about the I don't think it's about the school that you're in. I just think it's about the person that you are when you're going to school and and the person that's being raised. If um, if I had to go back and do it different, I wouldn't. I'm very, very glad that I graduated Mescalero Apache High School. And I'm not saying anything bad mm -hmm. against the other high schools, but mm -hmm. I want to carry on that dream that my grandfather left behind about wanting all of our uh, reservation students to, to go to the reservation schools. So so let me tell you, there's, there's some perks about going to Mescalero School. You know, not only now do you learn the, the culture, the language, you know, Mescalero do a blessing run, Mescalero School, they'd have their blessing fees. It, they take the whole culture of being Mescalero Apache and they put it together, you know. One thing we're missing is government, tribal government. So one day we're going to try to get that in there so the people will know the Constitution, the kids will know the Constitution growing up, so when they grow up they'll know their rights. Right. And, you know, and things like that. But I, I always tell the parents, you know, you can go to Redosa, you can go to Thule, that's your choice. But in Mescalero, Mescalero doesn't, it's, we have to take care of our tribal members because a lot of the kids that go in tribal members, they go to Mescalero, they're the kids that can't afford to go in a vehicle to tool, they can't afford to Redoso. So we got to invest in those kids to make sure they succeed because yeah. in, in Redoso, they charge you a lunch fee, yeah. you know, two bucks a day. You know, I had kids from Redoso call me, I, we can't graduate because Redoso's holding this fee against us that we paid. We didn't pay even whether it's a hundred dollars, fifty dollars. They won't let them graduate. But in Mescalero, we care so much about the school that the kids eat free. The kids, there's no charge. So imagine if you were a parent and you were actually made a good living for yourself and you had to pay, let's say three dollars a day, you times it times twenty dollars a month. So that's sixty dollars mm -hmm. times the whole year. You're paying almost seven hundred dollars right. you know imagine that money you'd be saving that, you know um, one thing that amazed me about mescalero school i was there last week uh, nate rayner invited mm -hmm. me to be a mentor for the kids to edit mm -hmm. their video they're doing for the robotics mm -hmm. class and i got to see all their little robots and the projects mm -hmm. they're working on they had drones they had drones flying mm -hmm. and then they're working on a robot that's gonna uh it's they're gonna put the apache language in, in the big. robot they're gonna have they're gonna control it by with the apache language and they're going on a. They won first place, mm -hmm. and and um, they're going incredible. on another contest. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be helping them with their video. But um, I was just there looking at all the stuff, and I was like, I went to Redoso school, and I was like, Wow, we didn't have this in Redoso. Mm -hmm. This if we would have this in Redoso, mm -hmm. it would have been it would have been amazing. I remember we had a robotics class, but it was nothing nothing like that. Mm -hmm. Nothing like what I saw the other day. So. That's awesome. And Chris, imagine where you live. It'd take you less than seven minutes to get yeah. to school. Yeah. <laughs> seven minutes home, yeah. you know. But I'm. Um, there's, there's a lot of perks about going to Mescalero because, you know, our teachers are doing the best, you know, because I don't care if you go to Almogordo, Tule, Redoso, anywhere. If you don't put your mind to learn, you're not going to learn. Exactly. So it's not really the school. It's the person. Definitely. The way I feel, you know. And, and I'm not trying to pressure kids to go anywhere. Um, I, I, my, my grandfather, he always told me that. You know, it should be our choice and what we want to do. And he, and that's why he let me transfer schools. And even when I move home, um, I'm sure my son wants to go to Rodoso just like his, mm. just like his mama went. And I don't want to be that guy that's like, you need to go to school here. You need mm -hmm. to go to school here. But I think the the best way that we can help solve the problem is just by creating um, that environment or that school 
to the point where everybody wants to be there. I would like to see the Mescalero Apache School be that place where everybody wants to be there and not yeah. everyone's told to be there by their parents. Yeah. One thing about our people too, no matter what school they go to, we all stick together. Like even Reynoso, right. I still see it. When I DJ their dances, all the native kids will stick together. Right. And I always play the last song, Indian Car, and all the native, <laughs> native kids come out. Uh, awesome. You know, they all represent together. So And in Reynoso school, it's, it's not even, um, it's not a separate place, really. It's kind of like part of our home. It's part yeah. of Mescalero, it's, it, we're, we're butted up against it. We're neighbors. A lot of the Mescalero tribal members do make that Ruidoso school. A lot of the tribal members are going, that they even work there. There's some tribal members here that do a great job there. They're part of the faculty. Um, huge. They play a huge support role for other mm -hmm. natives that are going to school there. A lot of great athletes are going to school there. And it's not, I don't want to see it um, to the point where it becomes divided. You know, I'd mm -hmm. like to see everyone going everywhere. But I just have a little bit of a soft spot for that muscular school. Uh -huh. Me, me also. <laughs> and you, one thing I was going to ask you, uh, it's the year 2020. If you can go back in a time machine to your old self when you're graduating that day and say, hey, I'm the president. You, are you going to be the president one day? What would you What would you think? <laughs> I don't know. I always wonder that, you know, you know, just going back that day, just thinking, man, I'm going to be the president one day. I never thought I would be. I never thought. Did you ever want to when you were a kid, or was no. that where you just your mind was on the military? No, I actually wanted to be a police officer when oh, I was a wow. kid. So when we were kids, they would always buy us the badges, and a police officer, you'd have the guns and yeah. things like that. But I never, I, not even the military. I um, I kind of made up my mind on the military quick. Oh, you know, yeah. so I, I didn't, I didn't do that. But I'm pretty sure we're gonna get into some military questions soon. But, but no, I um, I I always wonder like, how life is. You know, I, nobody. Even if I think if I would have planned it and said I wanted to be the president, it wouldn't happen. Because mm -hmm. that's just the way life is. Life is, the people you want it too much, it doesn't happen that way. But if you're, you got to stay humble in what you do. You can't, you know. I could be here two years, and then there could be a new president. I could be here ten years, but it depends on how you treat the people. It depends on how you take time for them. One thing I learned is a lot of people just like to five minutes. That's all they want with you to tell you what's going on, whether it's a sickness, illness, ch children not doing good, family member not doing good. I'm a doctor. I'm a, yeah. I'm a lawyer. You know, I'm a psychologist. I'm I'm everything yeah. for the tribe because. Even though um, I feel like I'm a master of all trades, you know, you know, a master of none, you know. I mean, because <laughs> yeah. that's that's just what it is. Is um, when you're the leader, people come to you because, you know, they want some kind of guidance, and whatever you say, positive or negative, can affect their lives. Yeah. So what you really don't want to do is say something that's gonna really get them in trouble or get get them in a bad decision. So. What you say, you gotta just, you gotta pray about it. Yeah, you know, definitely. Cause, um, I know God. God is a big part of your life. You, mm -hmm. You're at church this morning too, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, we're I go to church every Sunday. You know, just I pray every morning, pray every day because when you start your day off, you don't know what you're gonna come in contact with. Yeah. You know, you have to. Um, I I was praying last week in in Santa Fe. I had a big speech and man, before I know it, my speech just went perfect. I mean, but I was so nervous sitting up front waiting to get on that microphone. Yeah. 
that you know after I prayed and it just all went through and that's and if people don't believe you have to believe because if if you only knew what 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 you know a little bit of prayer and a little bit of faith can do to you I mean anything's possible I'm yeah. I'm I'm a, I'm a I want to say I'm a a prime example because look I'm the president you know yeah. and I don't you know and like I said I didn't start off to be in, in leadership but it leadership found me I feel yeah so before, God had a bigger plan yeah, yeah I yeah, think okay. so before we move on from your your trip to Santa Fe um, I know you you went out there you did a great job and almost expected sometimes like everyone's like you know he's our president he's gonna go he's gonna crush it and there's a lot of people that think highly of you that one thing that I saw that st- stood out to me big time was that you gave up your chair mm. so someone yeah. else could sit down and I was like yes that's the ty- <laughs> that's the type of representation that we need you know I think because um, I've been being outside the reservation for a while there's a there's a lot it's it's um, it's sad to say there's a lot of negative um, opinions that people have about our Mescalero Apache tribe they think we're mean they think that we're rude and you know just things like that and it's it's childish be, childish thoughts but um, you doing that it's like showing the world it's like here we have good people yeah it was it was kind of a spur of the moment thing you know you do things for good that you don't think anybody pays attention sometimes a lot of the good deeds that happen whether you helped a man, prayed for him on the corner, or whether you fed a man, whatever you fed a woman, those things are not seen, and that's, you just do good deeds. And that day, the governor was late to the meeting, so her seat was taken by another governor of a tribe. So I seen her walk in, and she was waving hello as she was there, and I said, hi. And I said, Michelle, would you like my seat? And she, at first she said no, and then I guess they told her that the Navajo Nation pre- vice president had barely went on. She says, okay, so I, I stepped up and she walked over and took my seat and I stood at the corner as she as the Navajo Nation um, vice president spoke and after they introduced the governor and went down there, she walked up to the mic and then I went back and I took my seat at the front with the rest of the tribal leaders. But um, it's just something that, you know, say if an elder's standing and you're sitting, you know, you rather stand, you know, than let somebody... And, you know, whether it's an elder, a pregnant woman, you know, even any That's how we're talking. Yeah, that's, that's, how- a, that's a big deal. I, and I was in Las Cruces yesterday, and I watched a bunch of teenagers just burst out the mall door. But behind them were people carrying things, older people. They could easily stop. There was a guy sitting within arm's reach of the door smoking a cigarette as people were coming out who were trying to push the button and trying to get out the door so it can open for them. He couldn't even reach over and hold it open a little bit longer so they could make it out easier. He sat there looking at his phone and every day my son's probably tired of it, but I'm trying to I'm trying to raise children that are respectful, like they can do nice things for other people, you know. And that that's one of the things that I I, I saw and I wasn't I wasn't there and I just saw someone um, I think a guy made a post about you saying, "Yeah, I saw hey, that too." Hey, what, one of the nicest things I saw was today. Gabe Aguilar gave up yeah. his chair. Little yeah. stuff like that goes a long way, you know. Yeah, I think so. Sure, I think the governor would remember it for the rest. And and my job is to work with her, you know, yeah. and and show, you know. Even though I might have not wanted to stand, you know, or even when those leaders didn't want to stand, it was the right thing to do. But little did I know. I had to stand right next to the Navajo Nation um, radio station. You know, they were there doing a live. They were um, streaming live, and they were also taking pictures. But 
I actually um I stood right there and I didn't I didn't say nothing to anybody. So after I give up my seat, here comes uh, a journalist. Here comes somebody from PBS, and they say we saw what you did. And I said, oh, thank you. And I didn't think nothing. But can you give us five minutes? And I said, okay. And then I said I got to take pictures of my travel council. I got to take I got to say a few other words after the meeting. And I said um, but I will. So they found me after the meeting, and. I went outside and I never thought I'd be with the cameras interviewing and they asked me we just love what you said about youth and we love the way you just approach yourself and that's why we're interviewing you and they said so I was I was interviewing and they asked questions about how the youth you know how do you interact with the youth you know and talked about how we started off with sports you know now we got to take it to STEM now we got to take it to um, Maybe I was thinking dance, drama. Yeah. We got we to gotta take it to the next level so that the kids that, you know, not every, maybe music, you know, everything that the kids all have opportunity. So I, I gave my little interview and the next person coming on me was a state representative, Native American from Sandia, Derek Lente. And he saw me and he shook my hand. He said, he said, man, I can't believe they're interviewing you too. That's great. And, and they already had his interview lined up, you know, but. And he told him, man, this is my good friend, Gabe Aguilar. And they say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys know. And we're going to put you guys together back to back talking about New Mexico. And, but it, it's just those things that people catch, you know. And I could have went out there. I, I heard some speeches from tribal leaders that were negative that told the state's not doing enough. You know, the federal government's not doing enough. But to me, that's not the time to do it. Mm-hmm. There's a time and place for every speech. There's a time and place... I think behind closed doors, whenever you're fighting for your people, if somebody's not treating your tribe right, that's the time to give it to them. But when you go publicly, is not the time to um, make a scene. You know, you're there right. to show collaboration. It's a time for everything. Yeah. The uh, <clears throat> before you uh, before you left the military, did you have any different jobs anywhere? Did you did you work anywhere on the tribe before you left for the Marines? I actually worked at the forestry. Oh, I worked, okay. Type two crew, engines, and made my way up to the hot shots. You know, and it was was that right after you graduated? Right after I graduated, yeah. yeah there was how many years were you there at the? I want to say three, three, four years maybe. Um, it it was a big thing. You know, when I started off, I was seventeen. They let you work at seventeen. You went on camp crews. So at eighteen, you went on a type two type two wildland fire. So. There was just like eight crews going out back then. I mean, we were just the best wildland firefighters in the nation. And we just had so many crews of people. Everybody, almost all your friends were up there, whether you were lucky enough to be on their crew or not. I always called it, if you got on their crew, you got to travel and be there with your buddies, you know, and do the work and then come home with a lot of money. And mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the hot shots were there. They had their 20 Every once in a while, they would take a couple fillers because a couple guys couldn't go for medical reasons or emergencies. So they would—that's where we started filling in, you know. But we, we, we did it. We we went in and it was it was very interesting. It, it kind of taught us how to be men, mm-hmm. you know. It broke us in twenty-one days of of um, fighting fire nonstop. But now they even changed that, where twenty-one days is too long. They go fourteen days and come home. Right. And they uh, make the physicals. We didn't take no physicals back in the day. We didn't take nothing like that we just went up there signed up when they fought the fire came home i mean i was there with people that are no longer with us and 
I think about what they taught me in leadership. I think about what, you know, but yeah, that's... It's very important, I think, for some of the... I don't think all of the youth has to go three times like that, but I know even speaking on myself, like growing up, I'm the worst example of what you want your kid to be like when when he's a teenager. Um, I ran around, I I did things, um, you know, I'm not proud of, but the moment I joined the Army, that all changed. I, I was working hard, and it taught me a lot of virtues. It taught me, you know, about honesty and integrity and respect and... All that stuff just basically melted into my DNA. And once, you know, my kids came, that was that sealed the deal. And I didn't even realize it that I was different. And whenever I came out of the military, I came back home and I had to reflect. I was like, man, when I, when I was young, I was running around on this reservation just being wild, just being a bad person. Why am I different now? You know, why do I have no desire? But it was those hard times that, that changed me. And you have somebody else to live for now. And I have the kids, and I just became so humbled when I went, and I'm sure that's exactly what you went through, but at an earlier age than than I, because I, um, it took me a while to to leave for for the military and grow up. Myself, I left to the military, and I think I was about to be 22 when I left to the Marines. Okay. So, but, but you're right, you know, we all did that. I mean, we all, as young youth, we ran around, we... We hung out, you know, I kind of look at it. We were, I want to say, bulletproof. Any kid, anybody, you know, but as you're a young person, doesn't really reflect who you are. I think it reflects who you are tomorrow. You know, I tell everybody my, my favorite stories of people is when they just hit rock bottom and they bounce up. They change and their life. They change their life. One of my friends, my best friend, had six DUIs before he realized he couldn't drink you know and and it took that many times to learn but now he's a counselor now he's hasn't drank in i want to say 20 something years but that's what it took and that's what it takes in anybody's life you know we um we once you get your mindset that you're going to do something and it's there's nobody can stop you you know there's nobody that can but but us growing up as kids i had i had a friend tell me you know remember when you know, they had they felt bad because they had stolen a bike or something when they were kids. And I said, "Well, try to make try to do something good to make up for that now." You know, yeah. I said, "Don't um, don't let it hold you back because you can't go back to when you were 18 or 19 when you were out doing stuff." You know, but try to make up for it in some way by gifting something to somebody or making somebody's day because that's the way I see it. Is um. You know, you can't turn back the past, but you can really change the future. Right. I think people that's been through it have a better story, too, and they can really help people, you know, because they've, they've been there. Yeah. If somebody that was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and they changed their life, somebody that used to get in fights, you know, do all kinds of crazy stuff, they can actually teach somebody coming up, like, hey, I've been there. This is what you're going to come out of it. This is what's going to happen, and you need to, you know, need to change. They can really help people in the community better like that. Right. So. That. And I th- that that's that's probably going to be my favorite part of the the conversation is because I love change. Yeah, I love it, and I I would like to see a lot more people try to make that real change and stuff. And it's very interesting to me how people go through so much and end up being probably some of the better people around. Mm-hmm. And I I love it. That's the stuff that gets me going. That's probably one of the reasons I'm running the podcast is because I want to be able to show people 
the the different people that are out there now people that have changed people that have a story to tell yeah and that's that stuff's amazing um so you, you said you left for the military and you were 22 you left for the marines what what made you decide to go marine i was actually going to the army uh-huh. and um I went to the Army recruiter, and my recruiter wasn't there two times in a row. Oh, okay. So after I took the ASVAB and passed, and I already went to MEPS and everything, I went to see him, and something was going on. So as I was knocking on the door, the Marine recruiter walked out and said, hey, let me talk to you. Back then, I don't think there was anything that says you couldn't talk to both or yeah. there was any rules. <clears throat> yeah. So um, he actually told me, um, you know, let me talk to you. And he started talking to me about the jobs and, he started saying, you want to be a Marine, you know, be the best. And my cousin, um, Joel Chino, was coming out to Marines, and I saw him. I was, in a, um, I was in a wedding, and I seen him, and he was in his dress. But I said, man, it would be pretty cool to wear that uniform. And I ended up um, signing up. I swore into the Marines, and he told me, you have um, four months to prepare. You know, you're going to go to Poli, be a Poli and stuff. And that, I swore in on uh, Thursday, and I left on Monday. He called me Friday and said somebody backed out, and I didn't even know anything about the Marines. I didn't even know. I had the books to start reading, but... That's the only way to do it. You just need to dive right in. People think about it too much and never join, and Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge mistake. So I went on that Monday. I left, and I went to boot camp, and when I got there, um, thank God I was... I always just shot guns the way they, the parents and families told me how to shoot. But nobody ever really taught me how to shoot. So <laughs> yeah. when I got in there, I got pretty good, you know. Yeah. And that's that's, you know, I think if you, um, you know it all, you're gonna kind of hurt yourself. Going, yeah. Going in the military, <clears throat> but um, I'm kind of glad I did. You know, I'm kind of glad I just, I just left because I think I would have backed out. I think I would have got nervous. I think coming down to the wire that last day, I was like that Friday night. <laughs> I wanted to just hang out. We were having dinners on Saturday. Sunday I was packing. I don't even know what you pack when you leave to the military. Yeah, it's nothing and, really. Yeah, so I, um, and then that Monday I left and... You took that leap. Yeah. One thing that I was curious <laughs> to Blue about, I was asking, how was boot camp? How was boot camp for you when you first went? It was, it was really pretty tough, you yeah. know. I mean, physically it was, it was really tough. You know, I was a, I, was, I, was, I want to call it a diet recruit. Uh-huh. When I went in, I was a little heavy, uh-huh. you know. So when I, um, they didn't let me eat every morning for breakfast. I had to eat rice and boiled egg and stuff that I don't even like, you know. Yeah. And and I had to eat it because I was so hungry. I ate it. Drink water, you know, milk, you know. But for lunch, I ate salad and stuff. But I seen these other guys on this other side that were double racked. They were getting <laughs> donuts, food. Sick. I mean, eating all this food. And uh-huh. boot camp, it was tough. I mean, by the first 30 days, I what, had What our, year was it? It was in 2000. November, what was it? yeah. In the year two thousand, yeah. The military's changed yeah. tremendously since then. Yeah. Did you ever play football in school? Yeah. Could I've, you compare like because I I've been through two a days yeah. and I'm sure the military is like probably how many times harder to try can... try five a days or ten a days yeah because yeah. <laughs> um, you know if you didn't get something and when I went to the military it was still different uh-huh. you know uh, nowadays they got all these different things when I went um. We still had the black boots, you know, we we still had to spit shine, we still had to press our, our it was called ACUs, yeah. it wasn't no digis or digital camis that they're wearing, um, you were up in the middle of the night trying to get your uniform pressed, <laughs> and I mean, it, it was it was very intense because every night you knew at 
8.30, you were standing on a box doing inspection to see how clean your fingernails were, your toenails, inspection, just standing there, getting inspected, turning around, make sure you had no bruises, make sure that you were, I mean, you're talking about somebody just telling you what to do. Yeah. That's what it was. I mean, you showered. Sometimes we went and ran. I remember we leave PT about 5.30. We come in about 9. I don't know how far you run in three and a half hours. Some of it's marching, calisthenics, you know, but it was a long way. Yeah. For, for the average guy, I mean, for Lou and them, for the average guys, it would have been heck. It would have been hard, you know, but um, for the, the guys in the military, I mean, it was just another day on the job. Wow. It was just another day you get up, and it was more exciting. I know Blue went to jump school and stuff like that. And that part, you know, in the military, you could say there's people that want to excel. I want to say if you want to go and, you know, they asked me, do you want to go to Special Forces? Do you want to do this? So I said, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to, <laughs> you know, I'm happy to serve my country. But I wasn't to the point where I was going to. Go. I went in. I watched the indoc training for the recon. I drove. We drove the vehicles for them for the medics and stuff. But I seen them coming out when you land. If you don't land right, knee problems. I seen. I mean, I seen people carried out. And in the swimming qual, I thought I was a good swimmer. Uh, but when I jumped in there to get that brick, two guys attack you. Next thing I know, they were pumping my chest. You know, because oh. I didn't. I thought I was a good swimmer, but I, I found out that. Um, you know, you got to really be a fish, you yeah. know, to be in stuff like that because um, not everybody can go through that. And I, my hat's off to everybody that, that does it because, I mean. The way you talk about I went to jump school, I have respect for you messing around in the water. I cannot do any water. <laughs> they put a blindfold me on. They put a blindfold on me one time and pushed me off a diving board with this equipment on. And I was supposed to remove the blindfold, take off the equipment, and then swim back out with my gun. And when I hit the water, I didn't even know which way was up. Yeah. And I panicked. And there was no one fighting me. There was no one holding me down. And when I finally uh, made it to the top, I f it felt like minutes went by. It felt like I was about to die. I was about to drown. But I just, I don't, th I, that was when I made up my mind. There's no way I could do any of that water training. Mm -hmm. I couldn't be a Navy yeah. SEAL. Yeah. <laughs> water is scary. It, it is. It is. But um, <clears throat> going back to your question, Chris, I mean, it was the hardest time in my life. But the most funnest time, too. I mean, yeah. it was the most... I mean, the people that you met, the people... I mean, there was people that... You're, you're struggling. They're struggling more. Yeah. You know, you um, ever shared an MRE with... One MRE for three people? Oh, my God. I mean, you're talking... And they do that to make you tough, you know, like... You know, they do that stuff to... Um, Is there people getting in your face? Like, your, I guess, sergeant or whatever? Or what do you call it? Every day. And they get in your face and... How's that? How's how's dealing with that? I mean, I never thought you would have to ask permission to use the restroom, ask permission for everything. Yeah. So you have to ask permission to speak. And going there, I mean, it was tough. I mean, it was, it, it really changed my life too. Like Blue said, I mean, I when I came back, I kind of had a different perspective on life where, you know, life is, is, is really um, strenuous, but it's never that strenuous, mm -hmm. you know. Going overseas, you know, going to Iraq. I mean, I remember the funniest part is when I got a boot camp and I went to my my training, my MOS school. When I got done, I hit Camp Pendleton. I had hit it in July, and then September 11 happened two months later. Oh, wow. So I was actually in the Marines whenever the the um, planes landed in. So I mean, imagine the command sergeant major. 
formations for the whole base, lockdown. They they locked us down and we started doing bag inspections, weapons, we started planning to go. We said we're going to war and everybody's freaked out. Cell phones went down on the base. I mean uh, phone lines went down because it was just like we stopped. We were just like I mean for the, for like a week we were all doing patrols walking the 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 base. Yeah. And we were like calling in, you're talking I mean, everybody was nervous. We're on the highest alert. It's Delta, ThreatCon Delta, and everybody was, you know, you, you just stay in your room. Go to Chow stay in your room. Go to Chow Nobody could leave the base. Nobody could come on. So the people that were on leave, I kind of envied them. There's a guy that couldn't get a flight back until that lockdown. He got to stay six, seven days extra at his home in Detroit. <laughs> and he came back, man, I didn't know whether to be nervous that I couldn't come home or I could... You know, be relieved, you know, because he didn't go through all those inspections. He didn't, you know, we were, and when you're planning to deploy, man, you got to have your socks. I mean, you, I mean, I mean, you name it and they have it out there for you. You're missing one item, man, start doing push-ups, you know, oh. start. I mean, it, I mean, you want to be perfect. So you're planning this and you're sitting in your room. Usually on Sunday is a free day for people, but if you're a good soldier, a Marine, you're there prepping you know, you're there getting your stuff ready, and that that's what makes you a better leader, yeah. you know. And then plus, if you're an NCO, you got to go and check on your people, and you got to make sure they're doing because I think the best thing I learned is that when I came a corporal or a sergeant, by me checking on people, some of them are average people, have problems, you know, whether it's a marriage, divorce, you're counseling, you know. I think that's what kind of shot me into leadership is that I've dealt with so much. It's like what, God was getting ready, getting you ready for today. Getting ready for yeah. today because um, one thing when I went to Washington and Santa Fe, there's, I want to say there's Marines and soldiers, Navy, Airmen, all in, all in, all in state capital uh -huh. leadership. And then are you looking, there was a guy I was wearing my Marine pin. He was a Congressman Klein. He made his way over there to talk to me and he was in Vietnam. And he told me the Marines made me the leader I was, you know. And we need Marine, we need leaders like you. He told me, and it's it's just those things that I don't know how to explain it. It's yeah. just it's just amazing, you know. And I am um, I could talk about Iraq and Afghanistan, but it's 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 something that taught me to care for people. It's something that taught me to don't take life for granted, mm -hmm. you know, because people take life for granted. You know, and there's people out there protecting this country or are scared and they might not come home and scared that, um, you know, when you have kids, like Blue said, I can imagine. I, didn't, I wasn't married, had no kids. Volunteer for anything, you yeah. know. I mean, due to, due to jobs that nobody wanted to do, burning, we burned trash, we burned, you know, we burned everything. Uh -huh. So, I mean, all, I got friends that are affected with um, that air from the, the trash, you know, I don't, they're in the veterans' hospitals and, I just thank God that nothing like that, I have knocked on wood, that nothing have happened to me because yeah. I've seen a lot of my friends. I've had a, I lost a lot of friends that are no longer in the Marines and the Army. You know, I lost two good, um, I could say from the Marines, I lost two good ones to alcohol, and I lost at least two or three in the Army to alcohol. Oh, you know, wow. young. They were actually 18, 19 when they went in, so I was... They were like three years younger than me. I lost them about four or five years ago. Yeah. And, I mean, they had me in their phones or 
they text me and said, wow, they said, just to let you know, this guy went to be home with the Lord tonight, you know, and I was like, wow, that's just, sorry to hear that, you know, and it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, it, it teaches you, but I, I, I can't, everybody's experience is different, you know, and it, it makes you the man who you are, like, um, there's times that I, I wonder, was I supposed to see this, you know, or was I supposed to live this, was this teaching me something, you know. How many deployments did you have? Two. Two? And then I went to Okinawa. <clears throat> oh, okay. Yeah, so when I was in Okinawa, I was trying to come home. I, Okinawa I was gonna, in Japan, right? Yeah, I was going to EAS, but because of the war and everything, I got stop lost in Okinawa. So you're oh, talking... so you were about to get out of the military... And they said you couldn't. Until the more non-commissioned officers came. When you were stop lost, did you lose out on any pay? Or mm -hmm. you were still being paid? $50 a day extra. Oh, extra. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was okay. But it was um, it was only for, um, I think, a month and so. But it was still, if you're, if you're expected to go home on this date, you should go home on this date, <laughs> you know. But um, every day you're counting, you know. Yeah. Like, all your bags are packed, you know, just waiting that's that's the part that's rough and then to fly up fly home is a lot there's only one way into okinawa you got to fly in just one airbase and fly out one way you know there was no pto or no anything like that you know you could yeah. I remember one thing that struck me is how you said uh, you would read uh, people's letters a hundred times or read mm -hmm. magazines a hundred times because you basically were Luke can understand that you're awakening a lot of things that I kind of forgot <laughs> yeah <laughs> whenever um I think Chris was telling me that he was he really was interested in your military experience and that you guys had talked about it a little bit when you when you mm -hmm. guys were hanging out one time. He was telling me about how you read the letters and for some reason that like it hit me and it opened up a whole file of memories that I kind of forgot about mm -hmm. and I just I can now look back and see all the letters. I was almost like trying to see what they smelled like if they had home smell uh the home smell on them when they came out of the envelope and i wanted pictures i just wanted so many pictures and it's a it's a different type of place it makes you feel uh, very like you said appreciative of home so going back to those letters chris uh, when i went in 2003 for an invasion of iraq we didn't have cell phones we didn't have um no iPods, no nothing. So we no had FaceTime. No, we had a we had a CD changer. We just had a regular CD players. Yeah, I had a CD book that only had could have fit eight CDs. I listened to those eight CDs every. What I was swear. it? What kind of music? Oh man, it was country. Um, I mean, I want to say Tupac. I mean, yeah, whatever, whatever it was. Because actually, I bought them at the. Traveling over there, they set up these shops, these Aces shops over there. But you only get what uh, we used to read the Maximum magazines. But I, I read that magazine. I could have memorized it for you. And then <laughs> one time I was so a school. I can't remember what school, but it wasn't even for Mescalero. But it was, a, it was for our platoon. I opened this, and it was to me. And it was one of somebody that heard I was over there. Man, I opened it, and I had at least thirty letters from students. Wow. I took the time to write every student back a letter. Students from the from the school from like oh and then some of the thank you for fighting for our country oh. thank you for this and wow. thank you that I wrote every student back an envelope because I I had that much whenever you're waiting for the war to happen it was hurry up and wait you know you yeah. got all prepped up and you just you were sitting there we got there January third the war didn't kick off to like March nineteenth yeah so we were sitting there. And um, finally, about 
maybe February. They got it where you can talk talk home, uh-huh. you know. And I got to sit, but when I went to the drove to the base to get on the phone, it was a five hour wait, and you only had five minutes. So was I gonna sit in line? Because if you leave your spot, uh-huh. you lost. So there was five minutes times. Let's say there's sixty people each hour. There was a hundred. There was there was just so many people. Yeah. You know. So I don't know how many five minutes something. Yeah, twelve people each hour. So there was that many people ahead of me to use the phone. So you either say, do I wait five hours and just camp out to call home? So I really didn't want to. Nobody really wanted to because uh-huh. it was hard. It was really hard to call home. And, like, finally after um, the invasion, it was after around April when it settled settling down, I got to call my dad and mom. And they were counting me down three minutes and 30 seconds, three minutes and 29 seconds. <laughs> and, you know, they were telling me, but I couldn't uh, tell my parents, you know, I gotta go. I got no, no. This person wants to talk to you. This person wants to say hello. So I was like, it was, it was one of those things, you know. It was a weird experience, and then we, you know, telling them, we love you, we love you, and I had to hang up. But you know, you could feel the choke in everybody's, you know, you didn't in your own voice, and because we didn't really um have anything, you know, and we, I remember um, the like I said, I remember one time we got back off a mission. And they had some good food, a chow hall. I mean, it was warmed up food, you know, but it was still something that we haven't had. We've been on MREs. And they said, okay, privates, private first class and Lance Corporals first. Man, we had more of those. We probably had a thousand or more of those Marines. Uh-huh. And then Corporals, I was a Corporal. By the time it fed all those Marines, it was like two hours, maybe three hours before we ate. But we were all starving. And it, it took me a lot to learn what they were teaching me but they were teaching us like as leaders you shouldn't go and take anything first you know you shouldn't be filling your plate if you're the the colonel or the sergeant major you shouldn't be over there doing this whenever um your troops are not eating yeah talking about having building leadership skills and stuff like that when Mm. when you're there it teaches you a lot more in different aspects of life too even parenting Mm -hmm. um now i still do that if if food's ready I make my son get up and get a plate and make sure my daughters have their plate. It's like, come on, come feed through. And it almost kind of, um, I almost want to start scolding people for not getting up and eating before me. Because that's, I did that for five years. Every time we ate, you know, just making sure everyone everyone that was underneath me ate first. Mm -hmm. Come on, get your, I still do it at home. Making sure your your soldiers eat first. I agree. The, uh, well, before we move on to, from the military, what was your favorite thing, your favorite memories of being in the military? You know, my favorite thing was the people. I mean, the people that you met, they were from all around the country. I mean, you know, I'm a people person. You know, I, I agree. I can, even if they don't like me, I don't try to kill them in kindness. So I feel I'm a, I'm a people person. I can talk. And when I, I understand people, you know, but I mean, I just... There's some people that nobody could get along with, and I could talk to them and relate to them, whether they were, you know, soldier, marine, anything. I just, I really enjoyed just meeting new people. I mean, it was, you know, my second thing would probably be living in California. I mean, it was beautiful. I'd go outside my barracks, go to the ocean. What part of California was it? Camp Pendleton. Uh, Oceanside. How close is that to, like... San Diego and L.A. And about an hour to San Diego and an hour to L.A. Oh, okay. I was in between. So I got to see, like, the Lakers play. 
got to see back then the Chargers if they wanted to, but it was it was really it was really nice. I got to travel the world, you know. I mean the deployments. It was it was tough. I mean it was because if you were not married and you were single and no kids, you pretty much went first. You know that first wave. So we went first and we set up. And you're talking working parties and it was it was tough man. It was <laughs> when then the married marines and them everybody came in the second wave. Everything was already good to go and you know and but it's it's the way it is. You know you kind of realize out of respect for those people that were married, you let them get a couple extra days with their families. You know before they head out. You know but. In the military, in the Marines, I, I, I learned a lot. But in the Army, too, I, I learned a lot because I wore a different uniform, different mission, different everything. But, um, you know, I it was, it, was a lot, it was a lot different, you know what I mean? It's such a good thing. The military is such a good thing. And I, I want more people to join, especially from our small community, because I know <clears throat> the type of growth that it, you know, that it puts into a person. I know how it changes people. It's just hard. Uh, and I don't even know what to tell people whenever they come to me and they're, they're telling me, like, I'm on the fence about joining. I just word vomit as much as I can. I'm like, it's the best thing you can ever do. Mm-hmm. But I can never, I feel like I can never not, I can never make it feel genuine enough. I can't sink those words into their brains. And when that conversation's over and they're walking away, I'm like, man, I, how could I have said that better? How can I make them feel that it's okay to join the military? What would you tell anybody out there that's thinking about signing up? No, I, I think it's the best thing you can do because without the military, I would have never been able to stand on my own two feet. You know, going from a little reservation, you know, a lot of people were really family oriented here. If I didn't leave to the military, I would have still been depending on my mom or dad. You know, I was still would have been depending on everybody. But leaving, there was nobody out there that can do the work for me. Nobody can wash your clothes for you. Nobody can, nobody could do anything for you. It, it made you independent. It made you a man. It made you a woman. It, um, even though you're not ready for it. Even though you're not ready for um, to be that person. Because over here, if something goes wrong, you run to mom's house. Yeah. Over here, run to dad's house. You know, or, so... The best thing it taught me is that um, I can be, I could be on my own, and which is kind of a crazy thing is sometimes now you like to be on your own, you know, just driving in a car, and you know people say why don't you come visit, you know, it's just that you've been on your own so long that, you know, it's not that you don't want to go visit them, you don't know that you never really went and visit family for like four years, eight years, or how long you served that. It's part of life that you only get to see people like maybe once a year, maybe that's what the life you kind of got into, which is um, is what you what you built, you know, like pretty much. I remember when we we're going to Iraq. I remember everybody was saying, "I want to win the Medal of Honor," but thinking about it the second time, when it, in order to win that award, you'd have to do something heroic. You'd have to do something. To me, I was thinking, I just want to come home. Yeah, you know, not. Because people, when's the last time we fought war, Desert Storm, before Iraq, you know, and people didn't know what to expect. I mean, people were telling me, 
I want to win this. I was like, man, I just want to come home. Right. Sometimes people would bring that up, and I was guilty of it. You know, I wanted to be the best soldier you could be, and it was something that a lot of people talked about on our spare time when we're just sitting around. But, you know, to win that, I think a lot of people have to see things that they didn't want to see and be a part of. Um, when, but I think when you get to that level, you, you kind of grown a little bit. But let me ask you this, Blue. So when if you're over when you're overseas and you saw the heart I have and the heart I have for the people, when I seen little kids over there oh. and I gave them my skittles and I gave them my thing, there's a chance that they could have had a roadside bomb or IED or something on them. But I, I had to have faith that I was. I give them water and say here because they're out there, no shoes, no nothing, and. You're just, you're like, man, you feel so bad for them that you uh, give them your food. For the people of that, co- of that country. country. Yeah. Whether it's, it's hard to see, that's for sure. And you think about your kids. Right. You know, you think about your nephews, your nieces, and they tell us in the military, don't feed them. But when you're out there walking by yourself and then kids are following you. Yeah. And it's okay, and you're trying to be nice and say, here, share it, you know, or here. But... Because one of those kids could easily be like a terror, a, a setup for the mm-hmm. terrorists. Mm-hmm. They, where I was at, they were so deprived of our everyday luxuries that we have here on the reservation or anywhere in the United States. Uh, you know, we can easily tell mom to stop at the store and get us a pack of gum or some candy or whatever. Yeah. And the kids are just kind of used to it. And when I was overseas, I saw a group of kids every day. They would come ask us for food, 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 food. And uh, I didn't have just food on me to give. And I would, uh, one time I gave him a piece of bubble gum. And the kid, he, one of the kids put it in his mouth and he spit it out. Uh-huh. He said tastes like crap. Because <laughs> he just wasn't used to having that yeah. kind of sugar or that, that taste in his mouth. He was like, oh, why? I can't eat this, you know. But he was, it kind of um, blew me away because he was, a, he would, he'd rather have food to fill his belly yeah. over the sugar that I gave him. You know, the sugar meant nothing to him. Mm-hmm. And that, that was kind of an eye opener. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your, now you're, you're in office, you said you haven't had a, a good enough time to change, change anything, what is the number one thing, it's probably hard, I don't think you can put this in the words, and I hate to put you on the spot here, what's the biggest thing right now you want to change, is it, do you want to, do you want to change attitude, do you want to actually, is that on the top of your list, perception, do you want to work on or do you want to just boil it down to issues within the tribe? Do you want to fix roads? Do you want to work on the resort, the ski area? What's on the top of your list? Well, let me put it to you this way. When you were growing up and you are like, if I was president, I could change something. This is what I would change. Is that question in your, in your mind? So, yes and no. I've actually been thinking about this a lot, you know. Change is hard for people. Change is hard for for a lot of people that have been doing the same things over and over for years. When I, what made my decision to run was, is to work with people and try to create something that's going to teach our kids and teach the elders and teach everybody to be a tribe again. Teach everybody. And it's it's hard because I um, I look at myself I was born in the 70s, so I'm lucky enough to um, have been there with my grandmothers and stuff when we ate, we ate what we had, you know, and to now, I'm in my 40s and 
I um I kind of seen both the best. I'm like in the middle of when, you know, we're still back in the day and we're still stepping into today. And I don't know if you really understand because I um I remember being at my grandmother's house, and all we had was Kool Aid and fried bread. Or mm-hmm. one of my favorite things was um, gravy over a, a bread. You know, just a regular sliced bread and. That's what we grew up on, and that's what our people relate to, you know. And um, I, I, the one thing I, I want to do is work with the community to make this a better place. I want to work with uh, people always talk about, you need to do this, do that. But in order for me to do any good, if people are going to hold me accountable, I have to hold people accountable. Yeah. And by that, what I mean is, um, is if we give you a job, you need to go in there and do your job. And if um, I hear it a lot that people just says, I just want a job and I don't want to do any work. And that's not what we need. What we need is, you know, I don't, maybe the, the past has never checked on anybody. Maybe the past has done from what I'm trying to do is, if you're providing a service to the community, you need to provide it, whether it's um, with the youth, the elders, anybody. I mean, I see it, our tribe has always been 8 to 4.30 and we close down, you know? So I think, you know, there's times that we can't let, if we're off for three days, say we have Martin, we can't let our trash just build up so big. We gotta come up with some kind of, you know, plan where we have people working on Saturday and Sundays so that we keep our areas clean you know there's times that um you know our youth you know we need to have the gyms open to do stuff with them mentor them tutoring you know we always talk about diabetes and weight room the weight room closes at five you know if it was open we offer it and we make we try to get it going and there's a lot of things but it's going to take um it's going to take everybody. It's not going to just take me. You said accountability. That's one value that yeah. really stuck out, you know, accountability. That's, yeah. pro- that's probably a, a better a better response than I could have even imagined. I wasn't thinking of it in terms like that, but <clears throat> I agree with you. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are in a lot of positions right now that aren't doing everything that they can. Mm-hmm. And I think if we start promoting that kind of environment, more people will be more inclined to step up and help and be more willing to. So so in Indian country all around the world, I talk to all these leaders and I ask them questions and ask them, what's your your hardships and stuff? And um, uh, one of the, a, a great leader, you know, he's an, he's an elder, he's older than me, and he told me, you know what, it, it's come to this where um, people are depending on other people too much. Instead of going out there and getting it, instead of going out there and do it, just because you work hard, I want what you have, but I don't want to work for it. You know, um, they said, don't compare yourself to others. Just go out there. You're, his life, you don't know the sacrifices, the late night shifts, the everything, two jobs, three jobs to get what they have. It didn't happen overnight. If, if you start comparing yourself to the next person for what they have, that jealousy and that envy is just going to get you because um you know i was talking to a leader and 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 other and he was saying that um his elderly was saying that their their kids 
don't take care of them. And then when he said, when it means don't take care of them, he says they don't pay their bills for them. And, and I said, well, hopefully the elderly work their lives. You know, somebody taught them the same thing to work so they can get Social Security and that they can get some kind of pension or, so, or they can be set up for when they get older. Because as we were talking, he said, say if, you know, somebody, mom is like 65 years old. And she's saying, my daughter's not helping me pay my bills or my son's not. That daughter and son, no matter how many kids they have, still have to take care of their families. Mm. How can they pay an electricity bill? How can they pay a phone bill? How can they right. do that? Because uh, that's putting added stress to the to their kids, you mm -hmm. know. And in Indian country, the adults and the elders are supposed to be the ones to lead us. And they're supposed to be the ones to... Um, when I was a young kid... The elders always fed the children first, but now I see it's always elders first, elders first, which is good, but there's got to be that balance where the elders give that guidance, and the elders, actually, they, they, where, they, where they say, you know what, I care about that younger generation, because that three-year-old one day, the way we raise him, like we, we're a tribe, we got to raise all our kids to succeed, because I say a the next president, we don't want them to be selfish. We don't want them to be, I think, all about myself or not educated, um, like that. We got, we got to, we got to set, we got to set it up where we're, we're all at fault, because it's easy to criticize the last administration. It's easy to criticize me, but what have we done as a tribe to fix it? You know, what we have done as a tribe to um, work together, because everybody always has a. You know, a gripe. You know, but yeah. nothing's going on. I am. Um, I'm talking about being more transparent and working on a letter to the people, and I'm gonna see if I can start giving more letters and more. I'm gonna try to work with the tribal council and give more letters. But I'm gonna. But in the letters, I want to tell the people is, you know, when I hold the general meetings, you know, and when I when people speak, the people that speak need to be held accountable too. So. For the working person that can't be there, I think we should film the general meeting so that the people know who's fussing and who's complaining, and they see it also, so they know, you know what, that's not right, or maybe they have a point. Maybe they, maybe there is a good point that that we're missing as a tribal leaders that's going over everybody's heads. But for the longest time, everybody has looked at things like. I'm going to go in there and fuss. I'm going to go in there and do this instead of being positive. Because if we just all negative, we ain't going nowhere. Right. <clears throat> and that's that's something that even I was guilty of when I was growing up. And uh, I've, been, I've been trying to change myself and become a lot more positive about things. And I, I noticed that the moment that I was cognizant of my attitude, things changed. And I had to change it because I put myself in a lot of positions that required... Um, way too much work more than I was almost even capable of or I thought I was capable of but the moment I changed my um, mentality I became more positive became nicer to people became a harder worker I looked at the situation a lot differently things were getting taken care of um, in in an exponential fashion and I was able to surprise myself mm -hmm. I conquered a lot of tasks a lot of goals I didn't think I was capable of doing and that power of that that positive attitude and, and being good to people is, is snowballing and I'm almost becoming a little bit um, too obsessed with it and I try to 
I think I, I expect too much of the people around me, um, and I, I, I need to take more, uh, I need to take a better look at what everyone else is capable of, because not everyone else is thinking that way. And I think that what you're, what you're saying is help, help holding people accountable is going to be a huge difference in, in what a lot of the um, presidents before you have done. I've heard people mention it, but I haven't seen it done in an, in an effective way. And I hope you can figure that out. And I think it's going to be a huge task for you. And um, I, I, I wish you the best in, in finding the best solution for that. Um, talking about recording what people are saying. Man, I, I have become so turned off by watching politics and showing up to events and things because that's what I see. What you see whenever you, you give people a chance to voice their opinions are the is, is everyone that has something negative to say because they build up, I don't know if it's anger or if they build up that, whatever the motivation is to push them to to step up and say something it's, it's going to be it's going to be mean it's going to be rude it's going to be negative but um i don't usually see people coming forth with what what the right uh fix to the problem is going to be uh, i see a lot of hey, you need to make this happen for me and i saw on facebook the other day i'm not a big facebook person um you were talking about the roads um if it, you know we're doing our best we're taking care of our elderly first and um, you don't need to call the offices and be rude. But I think a lot of the the reservation is so used to being that way. They're so used to being um, living that word of Eddie. Let's just call the offices and tell them to come come blade my 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 driveway. And they're used to getting what they want through anger because a lot of the people that are in your position or in these posi- tribal council positions, they don't want to deal with that confrontation and it's uncomfortable. But it develops a very unhealthy environment. And I hope, I really hope that um, maybe it doesn't even happen with your position, but maybe you can set uh, enough of a wave off with what you're trying to do to where the next person that comes in office sees what you did right. And then that person builds off of that. The next person builds off of that. So even if those those, um, problems don't get fixed today, I think if you work hard enough, it's going to, it's going to spread and it's going to be something that's positive for everybody. You know, one thing I like what you do, Gabe, is um, you celebrate people's victories. You mm-hmm. really honor and you acknowledge them, especially mm-hmm. with the youth. And I think that's what the tribe needs more of. Mm-hmm. Is, um, it's because a, a lot of us as a tribe, we get down on our, our youth or we get mm-hmm. we come down on people. You did it wrong. You did it this way. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think if we focus more as a tribe mm-hmm. on the good things that us as a tribe do, we would get more of that. The kids would want to come out and do more good things for us as a tribe. So that's one thing I really, because I've told you this in the past, but I can see that you genuinely, you genuinely care about the tribe. And that's one thing that I, I'm Thank really you. glad about. Thank you. That's one thing that um, I think we're missing is um, us giving more information to the community. Maybe need to do something, maybe like a radio station or either uh, a casting or something just to show because um, there's good things happening in Mescalero, but... They, people don't want to see the good things. They want to just hear the negative. And when you're all about negative, I mean, it turns everybody off. Because um, if I went out there and I was negative towards people, I would get a lot of people angry at those individuals. And that's not something I want to do as a leader. You know, that's not what I want to do. I mean, there's, I'll call it, there's a certain, certain thing that here is a silent majority. People that just come in, do their job. They um, say hello, they're nice, they're kind, they work hard for everything they have, they're not asking for anything, and they just come in and do their part, and they vote, they do everything, and they want somebody up there to be respected. What I heard over these last years is that we need to put Mescalero back on the map. 
by putting Mescalero back on the map does not mean um, building things are done. It means that I have to get out there and I have to get out my comfort zone and give that interview I did. Get out there and give that speech. When I'm invited to speak at the roundhouse, I better speak. I better not say I'm I'm not feeling good. I better not. So when I go to Washington, D.C. and there's a chance to be on television, I better take it. When I go somewhere and they want to do an interview with me, I better take it because I represent the tribe. Everything that happens good to me and the people need to understand this is if I if I succeed, they succeed. Yeah. You know, and there's times I remember Senator McCain before he passed on the late Senator McCain. A lot of tribal leaders were going to him trying to get five minutes with him. He was gonna willing to give me five minutes, but not because of who I was, the best group, because I was a veteran. And he had this high respect for veterans, native veteran. And I was thinking, what I did in my past, if it helps me better my tribe, whether we get a few dollars or whether we get a lot of money, I have to use that to help my people. You know, and I have to use all the tools, whether I'm shaking hands with people, whether I'm, you know, my kindness is going to overflow and they're going to, people are going to want to be around you, whether they're other leaders, whether they're, I feel that, you know, I had a lot of friends, even in the military, I kind of consider myself a popular guy. People always say, where's Gabe at, man? What Gabe here? What Gabe? And, you know, if I can get that where I'm, um, I get the tribe and we're, you know, every day I see 30, 30 people maybe, and I, and I try to give them their five minutes, ten minutes, sometimes an hour, one person. I give it to them, but um, I still got to be able to run the tribe on Santa Fe level, run the tribe on D.C. level, um, worry about uh, the departments, worry about everything. I still got to make time to be the president. I'm, I got a new tribal administrator, a new, a new advisor trying to help me. Because there's our tribe is growing. I think when Window was here, we might have had 300 employees. Now we have 600 employees, but but the positions never grew. So the president, I don't have an assistant. I call back everybody myself, and I when I tried to explain that to the council and some of the council, well, Window did it by himself, and I was like, we're growing. You know, when Window used to give those two thousand dollar dividends and stuff, we only had three thousand tribal members. Now we have fifty three hundred. So the money goes up, and the people don't understand it. It was it's a privilege to get it, but um, it's costing the tribe and it's putting them in debt, you know. And we we, we built a new inn, you know, and trying to um, figure out what the the tribal leaders had back then, the vision, you know. We're trying to get out of debt because once we get out of debt, all that money comes to the tribe, and the tribal members are going to prosper, you know. And there's things that um would be hard to do right now but i say if the if the tribal members would bear with us for like three to five years i guarantee you they would be more happy i guarantee you they would um they would see it you know so there's times that um there's things at this at the council table and my office that hasn't been shared in the past i'm gonna have to share it with the people even though it's hard because um they have to know because I feel like everybody's a stakeholder here. Yourself, yourself are tribal members. If if I was to do something wrong for the tribe, I could hurt the whole tribe. That's why um, I didn't I didn't go just to the president. 
I started on tribal council. I felt what it's like to be voted. I felt as I'd like to be treated, you know, and then I went vice president and I stayed there trying to learn the job, trying to learn. The, I worked under three different presidents. I tried to learn everything because what, what I'm learning now is I got the power to do a lot of stuff, whether it's good or, you know, I don't want to ever say bad, but it's, I have the power to make it happen. I noticed that, say, every two years we get a new president, it takes them a year to learn their job. Mm-hmm. It takes some time to to figure it out, and by the time they figure it out, a new election, people are mad because nothing happened because they're still trying to learn their job. Two years is not a long time. Mm-hmm. So by the time they learn the job, they're voted out. So this is my chance to try to make it happen. I um. I look at I look at our plaza right there. I'm envisioning a Dairy Queen. I'm envisioning stuff for the tribe. So when that Dairy Queen and that profit comes in, it not only is it employing tribal members, it's also bringing in revenue, extra revenue. With that extra revenue, we can go into maybe um, building a new um, a new tribal store, and maybe partnering with Bashas like the rest of the tribes and getting us something great where the prices ain't too high and. It makes a lot of sense. In the past, they've always asked um, Mescalero, would you partner with us? And then the split would be 80-20, where the tribe gets 80 and they get 20. But back then, we we're like, no, we want 100. But for 20%, we get the specialties and they teach us how to run a business until we're ready. Because sometimes in interventions, we, um, we build stuff too fast and then we don't know the logistics that go involved. Really. Right. So we... We kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. It's a great idea. Like the, back about 2011 and 12 when they were getting those Fort Bliss units, mm-hmm. they were a great idea. They came from Fort Bliss. They were free, but there was no plan. So you give a, a trailer to a tribal member, and they don't know it's going to cost $25,000 to fix. Who has $25,000? So now I'm thinking if we ever get more trailers or do something, we're going to get them set up where they move in. Your power is here. Your your water's here, your sewer's in. It's a all one package, you know. So all you have to do is just open that key and turn on the lights, mm-hmm. and start planning. You know, start planning for the future. And even these um, ones that are here, if we don't help the tribal members, and if like we can't give everything for free, you know, because uh, people always come in. If I would, uh, you know, I I've been writing memoirs, you know, of everything that happened to me in office. You know, some people treat me very bad some people treat me very good some people ask for money some people ask me to get people out of jail people ask me to do the stuff that's against all everything against your morals against everything and and you can't do it once you do it and when but by saying no that's where you're the bad guy you go on facebook and say that person wouldn't help me but what if i was to say what you were asking me to do it, it would it's not the right thing to do mm-hmm. especially whenever um, you know I, I notice in, in on a reservation whenever you know people pass away in a state it happens people are fighting family members are sisters and brothers ain't talking you know and that's not who we are we're not when did it all turn out about I want the greed took over instead of like saying hey you're my brother what do you want you know what do you want let's let's just do this civilly but no. I want it all. And if the people actually knew what what was being said behind closed doors, because um, I had a, 
I had somebody in my office telling me I need to fire this person. So I listened to them and I just listened. But as I was walking out and they were leaving my office, the person they were asking me to fire, they were hugging them out there. So how do you do that? You know, like, I don't, I don't understand. So I think if the people really knew what we saw, you know, maybe I, maybe after, like, say, if I think if, like, if I didn't win, I would have a number one hit selling book from Marines to Iraq, Afghanistan Army, Tribal Council member, Vice President, President. I would have fulfilled all of these things, but I tell Indian country on how, you know, as a leader, you know, how do you how do you deal with somebody blue whenever they come in and they t- I voted for you. Okay. I say, thank you for your vote. But they said, now are you going to help me? I said, I'm going to try to help you. I'm going to listen to you. What What is your thing? I can't take land away from somebody. I can't do these things. You know, I can't. I, there's things that I just can't do because then I'll have an uprising, really an uprising, because you're going against documentation. You're going So if the tribal members knew how hard the job was and what people were asking, you know, like fire this person, fire that person, you know, I, I sometimes I wonder, um, you know, if we ever started holding people really accountable for their jobs because people call in all the time and then they want their job. They don't, or some people don't call in. They just leave their job abandoned for seven days and then they want their job back. Mm-hmm. If people really knew what went on in the reservation, they would say, man, this is tough. It would be one thing, Blue, I was thinking to myself, what if I just came in and I just was hard, straight across the board and just start fighting? That, I don't know what that would accomplish because um, you're not teaching anybody anything. You're not, in order to sh- show them, you know, how do you show somebody that's was taught this way, you know, or brought up this way, you know, or how to show them that's not what you're supposed to do because you're really hurting the tribe. By you not coming to work today, say you're a server and there's only two servers on, let's just say Windows or Broken Arrow, that one server has to double your, your, your server, you know. If you knew the bind you put your fellow employee in, if you knew, you know, by you calling it, it's, we're all a team, you know, and by the, if you knew by you cussing out a customer and them never going back, you're losing money for the tribe. Just because you say, this is our resort, doesn't mean you spit on the wall. Doesn't mean you draw. I mean, it's, it means that we all should work together to succeed. I, I'm, gu- I'm guilty of being yeah. one of the people that's like, what can this president do? The president needs to do this. He needs to do that. And I think I was in, um, I wasn't mature enough to understand a lot of the problems that come with this community, but that's the that's the thing that I, I gotta give you props for is that you, you have to deal with an entire co- our community is so different um, because if the way I looked at it is I've been gone for so long I get kind of used to being out and I don't want to say the real world the real world puts a, a negative connotation on the reservation but like when you leave the reservation the way things are handled out there it's it's harder everything is way harder um, you have to pay your own rent you have to pay for you, you know rent beyond those reservation lines is is not cheap um you have a whole the world is a little bit harder because there's not a community of people looking out for you like that and i think the uh, reservation itself it develops a different type of uh, problem because there and we're used to that community environment we have a different environment to work through here 
and we do help each other out a lot. Um, I think it's nice how we look out for each other. You know, the tribe does give dividends and people fight about the dividends because it's not enough or whatever, but at least we get those dividends. Um, we have tribal housing and the tribal housing may not be um, real nice, like the way they want it to be. But then you, you look back in your military experience, you see the way people use people that are still living in mud huts with no electricity in Afghanistan. And you kind of look at it like, oh man, well, I'm thankful we even have this housing and stuff like that. But it's a, it's, it's a very complex uh, set of problems that we have on the reservation. I don't know the answer for it. And I give you a lot of props for being able to deal with it. You're still sitting, you're 30 days in and you're still smiling. You're still happy to help. So mm-hmm. um, obviously it's, it hasn't, it hasn't shook you. Um, and, I, and I really hope you find what, what the fix is going to be because I, I can see, um, I can sit here and speculate. I, I know it's, uh, there's a whole um, group of individuals that you can never change their way of thinking. You can, you can never teach them how to be nice to people, how to be positive to people. You can never teach them how to get out into the world and, and live on their own. You can never teach them how to fix their own problems. And there's going to be a whole um, number of people that are going to be lining up to your office, asking you to fix this for them, fix that for them, and fire. That's not how it works. Like If you ever have to leave this reservation, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. But we do live on the reservation. We do have this set of problems here. And it, like I said, it's so complex. I almost get overwhelmed thinking about all the problems that we have to work on here but with that being said i think that we live in in a beautiful reservation i think the mountains and 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 the community that we have here is amazing our culture Mm -hmm. um the opportunities that we have here people take for granted that resort that we have and you know there's a lot of uh people who who don't agree with the way it's being run and stuff but i i don't see um most of those people doing anything about it I just see a lot of griping, a lot, a lot of um, negative comments being made everywhere. But whenever I actually go to work and I see Chris in the hallway smiling and stuff, I didn't even know Chris that well until like last month when we made a podcast. So EDR, we're, mm-hmm. we're drawn together because of that good attitude. I just hope that um, our community can continue to be filled with positive attitudes, good vibes, good people, because there are a lot of people in the resort or in the reservation that are awesome people. And those are the types of people I'm trying to get on this podcast. And so we can share that. The more that we voice ourselves and we mm-hmm. share like your positive attitude and Chris's positive attitude, we, the more time, more we can find those little um, uh, beacons of light and put them on for a public voice. I think we can spread, uh, make this positivity a little bit more infectious. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to say that with you. I think what I like about you and what the reason why I wanted to put you on this podcast is, for one, you're newly elected president. I think it's a, it's a good, you're a good guest to have. And I'm not just trying to use your position to put you on the podcast and make it successful. But um, I like how you're always on Facebook every day. You're, you're telling people what you're doing. You're like, hey, I'm praying this morning. And I think everyone might get tired of it. Like, oh, here we go. Another one of Gabe's posts. But I don't see it that way. I see... Um, I think you're, it's real inspirational. The the yeah. transparency that you say you're providing, you're putting it on social media, you're putting your pictures out there. I was in Santa Fe doing this, I'm doing that. Actually getting to see what you're doing on the daily like that, it's it's pretty awesome because living in my shell a few years ago, I didn't know, know what the president was doing. I was like, what's his day like? He's probably relaxing in his mansion somewhere <laughs> in this hidden mansion on the reservation <laughs> making all this money. But um, that communication that you provide with your um, platforms because now you're using the technology that we have at our fingertips using your cell Mm -hmm. phone you're you're putting yourself out there and showing the world what you're actually doing 
that's awesome. And you're, you're being pretty honest on the podcast, telling people about some of the problems that you have as president and stuff. That communication to me, I think, is probably one of your strengths. Mm-hmm. As long as you continue to uh, being so open about what's going on and you're just telling people, like, look, I want to help you, but this is crazy what you're asking of me. Like, mm-hmm. no, this is a, this, listen to yourself. Or you're like, you're like, I want to record these meetings because uh, president and president before me, we've had these com- these these meetings and people are getting up and they're telling me what their problems are, but they're not being held accountable. What are they doing to fix their problem? You want mm-hmm. me to fix it, but what are you doing to fix it? And all those forms of communication and all of that stuff's important. I, I agree with it. I hope you continue to <clears throat> stay. It's not go. It's not going unnoticed. That's for sure. Um, I am actually keeping up with you're. You're the first president I've ever been able to keep up with. Like, and I know exactly what you're doing every day. You woke up and you prayed. You put it on Facebook. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and you know, there's a lot of things that people don't know about me. Is I volunteer with the youth. I open a gym for kids. And how does one person control sixty kids at one time? You know, I make sure there's no fighting. I inspire them. I tell them one one of the eighteen year olds who just had a baby. I told him, are you ready for the real world? He looked at me and I said, no, time's done playing. He dropped out of school. I said, go back to school. He didn't want to. So we put him at the ski area to work. And I said, your daughter needs um, diapers. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. So what I'm trying to do is, and, and I was going to elaborate on some other things. I don't know. I was going to tell you that um, people always tell me we send our kids off to college and then we tell them to come back, but there's no jobs for them. I believe I've been looking at this and I've been looking at it and I've been looking at it. I I agree we need a it's our job to find more jobs for people that go off to college, but we need to work together because what what I'm seeing is say they go out and get a degree. They get a degree in something like let's say criminal justice, four year degree. They come back if they don't want to work as a prosecutor or they don't want to work as a judge so, and you even have to wait till you're 35 to be a judge you know so if you graduate at 26 you can't be a judge till you're 35 you know something like that so we're not setting our people up they're coming back with degrees that are not we don't have any jobs in mescalero for and, and then some of them are, are coming back with degrees and it it makes it hard for us because they have no experience so one thing I seen in Las Cruces, I was a jerk. I was a, an apprentice for a journeyman for um, a, the union. So there was a guy that graduated from Doniana with a license degree in plumbing. Whenever um, he went to um, apply for the job, they hired him. And then you had a, an a journeyman that turned out four years. That went. They had them both do this map out of these um, plumbing and these lines. They wanted them to run. This guy did it just like he does every day on the job, and he learned it, and he did it. And they looked at it. The other guy was struggling. Three days later, his glue was all messed up because all he did was read it in the books. He's never had the hands-on training. So what what we got to do is we got to find a place for our people that um, graduate and put them under somebody that's been doing the job to help them, guide them to succeed. Because people are always saying, oh, I got a college degree, and you said that. What I'm seeing is people with degrees are bouncing from job to job to job to job because they don't, that's not what their field is either because we don't offer, um, you know, so they went for psychology or something, but you want to work 
you know, in another field with kids, you know, where you're running a department or you're doing something and then they feel they don't like it. But every job they apply for. So what I see is that there's people that apply for that bounce through almost every directorship here. But then they get mad whenever you say, you know what, I'm looking, you know, we got to find somebody because certain jobs are hard. It's just like being they're political. They need license. They need different things. But we got to work with our community and show you know, these ones are, we need to get people to go to college for these jobs. You know, we need to work with the education department and work with them so that um, people ain't going to college for degrees. Like, um, what are we going to do for welding? You know, I don't know if we have any welding jobs, you know, and we got to make sure, even HVAC, you know, we got to make sure we have jobs at the end or the tribe. You know, I look at it and people come and talk to me every day and, um, if we don't tackle it as a tribe, we're never going to figure out, you know, how to, we need, we need people in human resources for degrees. We need people in accounting. We need people, you know, those are the ones for the tribe, you know. One thing, um, what we're trying to work with ENMU right now is, is have a night classes to become a carpenter, a plumber, an electrician, so that we can have people to build homes. And if they can pass and they can get a certificate certif certification, it'll help the tribe. And I think that's an investment in our people. I think we need more people with CDLs, you know, to drive, you know. And there's there's just certain things that we need people to help. But if you're going, you know, if we're going for certain things, like I said, college, they offer all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But if you get a degree in, you know, in, in cultural studies... The only thing we can try to get you in is like the museum or something that goes in to culture because I was looking and I was trying to help I was trying to help tribal members that ask, you know, and it's how do we set it up so that we're setting our people up to come home and work for us, you know. And that's that's gonna be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people because there's a lot of people that worked really hard to get their degrees. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna be you know, I don't know how I would take it because I'm going to college right now for something that's real difficult. And I don't know how I'd take it if I was done and I was told, like, you know, your degree's obsolete. Um, you need to you need to go get a different one that's more. And I, I agree with you right there. That's a tough situation to deal with. Um, but it's even so going back to the fact that we have a, a, a weird set of issues in our community because we're a reservation. We are we are obliged are obligated to take care of our own citizens. And we've got to do the best that we can with what we can. But at the same time, we have to draw that line and show people, like, you know, this is life. Anywhere else that you go, you're going to have to get a job that's, I mean, get a degree that's going to matter. Something that you can actually use it to apply somewhere. Wherever you, wherever you go, you leave the, like I said, you leave the reservation, it's going to be that way. It's hard to find jobs anywhere, even if you have your, your degree in whatever it may be, maybe physical education, maybe all the jobs are full. Um, so... And I'm no expert at this, but maybe the best place to put that type of um, thought process into anyone's head would be when they're in high school getting ready to go to college. Uh, I think we got to provide a little bit better program to our to our graduating students. Say, hey, if you if you really looking to get a good job, here's what you need to get your degree in. Here's what you need to try for. Because the truth is, if you get a a mediocre degree or something that's not as powerful, you might have trouble finding a job whenever you graduate college. You know, and, then, and that's that's a hard pill for um, high schoolers to swallow, too, because I think a lot of people get intimidated about once you graduate, you got to go get something that's hard to get. Mm -hmm. When I was leaving the Army, 
I wanted to set myself up. One of the first things I did was I Googled highest paying jobs in the U.S. And I was like, number one, nope, don't want to do that. Number two, I said IT engineering. And I was, all right, let's go try that out. And that's what I went for, just to ensure that I had something powerful to come home with mm-hmm. and ensure um, something in the job force. It's a tough situation. It's it's a sticky subject. It is. So, so Blue and Chris, let me ask you this. Say if... Uh you know, you had somebody that from the reservation that worked 25 years in their job, and they were like assistant director all this time doing the job, and then you had somebody graduate, let's say water, let's say they, they graduated with the water, but you had somebody doing the water for 25 years, and you had somebody graduate four years, how would you do the interview? I would say experience goes a long way because they've been doing it, you know? But um, I guess it, you would have to find that balance that's to what see what works. So as a tribe, we have to figure that balance, you know, because yeah. you don't want to hold a tribal member that went to college for the water degree, and you don't want to stop this person that's been doing the work and then say that the main director retires. How do you know who you say if the job opened and applicants? <laughs> so can I can I just take the the easy way out and say I'm not qualified to answer that question? <laughs> I, I would say I would say it comes down to balance. You know, you mm-hmm. come and you got to be fair. And at the end of the day, you can't take it personal as a tribal member. Where oh, they're against me because I'm because I don't have my degree, or oh, they're against me because I don't have the experience. It's just like at the end of the day, there's what five fifty five hundred of us, mm-hmm. and we're all on the same team, and we're all trying to be successful for our tribe you know? yeah because yeah. sometimes like even at the end there's only one or two jobs and you have 40 people apply how do you know who's who and i i really think that um it's tough there's going to be people that get it and there's going to be people that don't get it and then there's some people that think that just because they don't get it that it was personal i hope it's not like that and that's what i'm, I'm saying i'm trying to work with all my staff to make everybody feel you know it's not. It's not what it is. But there are, let me tell you this, there are people that bounce from job to job within the tribe because the tribe's not set up like the end. Say if you quit your job, you can't apply for 30 days at the end. For us at the tribe, I've seen somebody work in seven different departments in one year. I mean, that's kind of, and then they and then they quit that seventh job, and then the next year they're applying, and they want, they're mad because they didn't get an interview or they didn't do it, but they, their their background hasn't showed them be the best employee so how do you tell them that i think we're starting the right trend though it's not going to be like i was saying earlier some of these issues might not be solved with you right now but i think if we're just making we're voicing what the problem is and becoming transparent with it communicating as best as we can as long as we move in that direction i think that we're doing you're doing a good job um like i was saying i don't have all the answers you probably don't have all the answers. Now we're peeling back some layers of politics where we're starting to be like, oh, man, this is a, this is a tough one. I don't maybe want to talk about this one right now. It's, no, it, it takes no. a lot of energy to talk about yeah. some of this and, stuff. And, and that's what I want to try and what I'm going at with this is I want to sh- give the people a taste of what it's like to be the president. Mm-hmm. Every, my, if, if I had to be honest with you, Blue and Chris, my first week, everybody asked me for a job. Everybody asked me for a home. And I, I said, well, there's I said, there's a waiting list, you know. So how would it feel if I just started bumping people to the top the first week in office? How would those people look at me? Or how would they look if um, people just got jobs, you know, that say you applied at the end and you didn't get a call back for 60 days. You applied at 10 jobs 
and then somebody I just appoint to the job or just a, so there's a lot of things to weigh in and I mean from vendors to I mean everybody got my phone number whether it's hemp solar I mean it's it's a it's a hard job and I don't think our people understand that um, you know being the president is a lot of responsibility a lot of stress and the reason why I didn't just jump in this role is because I wanted to think about what I was doing. I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn our people. And sometimes I had to be honest with some tribal members and say, I just don't think that's going to work. I'm sorry. Or I just had to, I'm just sorry. I can't do that. I just can't. And they were mad at me. Don't get me wrong. But some of them respected me enough to um, understand that I couldn't do it after a while. And they came back, and I, I helped them other ways for other things. But there were some that, you know, they just held it against you and said, you know what, I don't like him because he didn't. All the 30 things i done for him, but that one time I didn't do it for him. They remember that one time. So, you know, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. So I, um, I'll leave it with this, is that um, in my first, there was a young lady, just turned 19 years old because I asked her how old she was. She told me, my grandmother told me the tribe owes me a house and I'm not going to pay my, I don't pay rent and I'm not going to pay for my electricity or my cable and my phone, she said. And I said, well, who told you that? She said, my grandmother. And I said, and I asked her and she told me who she was. And I, and I said, well, I said, your grandmother has lived there and she's earned that right as an elder. She's earned that right. And we have a thing called the elder's assistance, which helps pay for um, your electricity and your food at the store or pay for Maddie's phone. And I said, that's how your your grandmother doesn't pay that. And I said, for you, if you get on the housing list and you get bumped up, you're gonna pay a hundred dollars. And then your electricity is gonna be about 80 a month. And she's, I said, let's start off. Have you ever worked? No. Okay, well, let's, um, let's start off by getting you a job. Let's start off by you learning and um, learning to the basics on how to, to be an adult, you know, and I, so I just, I send her up there to apply at the end of Mount Gods, and, and I, I, I've seen her up there, and I talked to her, and I said hello, but um, if, if they don't know, and they're not taught, and, you know, most of the time, I'm just there to give guidance, you know, and I'm not, and people don't understand that um, the president can't solve all your problems. That's what I was going to get at. I was going to say, you know, I think you try to do a pretty good job at staying genuine with a lot of people, and a lot of people appreciate that. Yeah. You can hear it in your voice. You can see it in your eyes when you, when I have a conversation with you. You feel pretty genuine about the conversation we're having at the time, and you're like, hey, man, mm -hmm. here's all these good ideas. We talk about them, and I don't hold this against you, but I think whenever you leave, you enter back into your life again, and it's full of a thousand... 7,000, 5,000 other, other issues from other tribal members that you have to remember. I don't think there's any possible way you can remember every conversation you've ever had with every tribal member, but um, people misinterpret that conversation they had with you. They're like, oh, well, I saw Gabe at the tribal store today, and he told me that he would try to get my driveway fixed. And then you go buy your soda, you get back to your office, and then somebody else hits you with, hey, I need this person fired. And then mm. the next person's like, hey, Gabe, you got a minute? And I just, I think there's a, there's too much to be um, be on top of all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't know how you would do it, how you would maybe carry a notebook around mm -hmm. and write it, down all the problems. It is. And, and there's a process, there's a chain of command. And I always try to, 
I always try to do the chain of command. And and one thing that I've been really thinking about, and um, I, the tribe's not ready for it, but it's family interference. When somebody loses their job, their, their mom, grandma, dad, uncle, aunt, cousin, they're in there yelling to get their job back, but or either um, somebody's not doing something right, they're written up. In the handbook, they can actually be terminated for family interference. Oh, wow. So, but has the president ever done that? No. But once you hit 18, you really got to realize that if it's you, you should speak for yourself. You yeah, know, and our, yeah, and and I don't think that it's right. You know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you, you know, one day, you know, I'm gonna face adversary. You know, I'm gonna face it. You know, like you know, people are always saying, yeah, well, all the presidents. You know, somebody's gonna go and say they're gonna do this to me, do that to me, and, and that's fine. But while I'm here, I'm gonna do the best I can, and I feel that. Um, you know, if I ever left or everything, you know, I'm not I'm not afraid. I just want to let everybody know I did the best job I can. I want them, say in two years, if I didn't win, I want them to know what I always had an open door. I was always polite to them. I was always kind where they're going to miss you, you know, because. Um, but I do tell you one thing is that I'm not afraid. Like if somebody's doing wrong to me and it goes public or somebody writes it and they lie and slander, I'm not afraid. As, as a tribal member to go to KOAT or anything like that because I know that in my heart in the background if I was to tell the people with the both sides it's scary parties because there's two sides to every story you know you only hear this first one and they leave out this you know and they leave out the rest and the person when you get the whole other side if I was to tell the tribal members both sides I mean people would look a lot different at individuals you know or one right. another i, I kind of got off on a tangent earlier talking about maintaining on track of everyone's everyone's problems but um what i was getting at was i think what i i can't speak for everybody but what i appreciate uh, in your attitude is that actual genuine response that you give people um taking the time i didn't go through chain of command to get you on this podcast no. you were just like hey call me you know here's my number you can call me anytime and if I got the time, I'll be there. And that little bit was awesome. Um, and I appreciate honesty. Like, being able to... I, I don't know if I'm... I can't be in your mind and, and know the truth about everything, but I, I do feel like I'm getting honesty from you when I ask questions and stuff. I think that's going to be what, what sets you apart from a lot of people. And what I, what I see about chain of command, I'm talking about with jobs. You know, a lot of people... Um, people always talk about... Um, I want to talk to you before they talk to their boss. Yeah. Say, um... Oh, yeah. And sometimes a lot of this is hard conversation. I had to bring the boss and the employees in. I sat with them and, you know, at first it was kind of a awkward situation. But after we left and they left, they were going to figure it out on their own. And they didn't need me. I was like that mediator. Mm-hmm. But the president shouldn't be a mediator you know right. so if they I think if I can instill in my directors to actually do the talk themselves even though it gets awkward you know like where they you don't feel you can sit in the same room with somebody there's a lot of people that I don't want to be around them I don't want to even, and that's not the way because when you get that attitude when type, times get hard you ain't going to be able to make it like you said and working any other place there is no appeal um, policy 
you know, right now, say if um, somebody gets terminated on the reservation, the first step is to go see their, the boss or director. The second step is to go see the, if it's for the tribe, it would be the tribal administrator. Then it's the president and the council, but at the end, it's the director, and then they go to the COO, and then they go to a, a, appeals committee, and then they come to the president and the council. So there's steps, you know, and sometimes um, they we read the Constitution, we read it. Everybody, I, I believe, reads it, interprets it different, you know, because um, we all read and we're all raised different. I tell the leaders in here, we're all different from different childhoods, different uh, families, you know, and we got to agree to disagree, shake hands. But at the end of the day, we got to shake hands and walk out here peacefully. You can't be like... Leave here, and I'm not going to talk to Blue because Blue called me out on my suggestion, or he didn't vote my way, or something. You know, if you were a, a tribal leader, so that's one thing I'm trying to just bring in here is respect, because you know, at the end of the day, we're here for everybody. Like you said, 5,500 tribal members. People don't understand that if I could um, make it a perfect tribe. It still wouldn't be perfect. I could say if Jesus was present, people would still be complaining, you know, because that's just the way it is in Indian country. And everywhere I go in Indian country, I ask the tribal leaders, why would you run? I ran because they fired my daughter. I ran because they did this. And I said, well, that's not a good thing. You're running on revenge, you know, and they get mad. Oh, oh. and I said, well, can you be objective in a decision that goes around your families? Because when they tell me I ran because I was never got hired i ran this i ran for council for this i ran for vice president for this if you ran for something like that you really shouldn't be in leadership because you should run to make mescalero the best place for the future mm -hmm. and i listened to tribal leaders i asked them so why, what made you run run in politics and they said they tell me and it throws me off like because they just start telling me how the tribe did them wrong and that's why they're on council mm -hmm. so i said what are you doing to fix it on council all they're doing is fighting with everybody. Right, know? right. So that's what I'm trying to tell people. Run to leave your legacy because, honestly, when we leave, I think we should save what we accomplished or save what we've done. If not, what legacy are we leaving? What legacy? Because right. I shop at, like you said, the travel store. I shop at everywhere. I show people I'm there. I go to the feast. I, I am there with them, praying, I'm there with the girls and the family, you know, and that's what leadership is by being there. If I was to hide from everybody, never come out, every time somebody caught me, they would chew me out because they never see me. <coughs> but I'm so, I'm at a basketball game, I'm at a football game, I'm at a track meet, you know. Everybody can say hello, Gabe, how's things going, how is this, you know, and I'm so out there that, um, I read, I read about Wendell, and he was everywhere. That's what people tell me, he was everywhere. And that's one thing I want to be is everywhere. You know, I don't want to ever say, um, I can't find Gabe. He's hiding from the community. He's afraid of us, you know. Because, honestly, if um, in here, when you, when you make these decisions in the tribe, you got to be open. What you say in here should be shared with the whole community. You know, I don't have anything I can't say to you. I mean, some people might not like it because, uh, you know, I'm going to tell the truth. Because a lot of times when people came in here and said things, it, it it's, it's not shared with the community. People, 
I think if somebody brings up another tribal member's name, that person has the right to defend himself. Mm -hmm. Because that's that's what being a real leader is. By saying, hold on a minute, you went there. Do you really want to go there? If you're bringing up another tribal member, I'm going to call that tribal member in right now, and we're going to let them defend themselves. When you say that, I mean, let's, let's see who's really honest. Let's see who's really, you know doing right because you can't just hear one side because there's times that people tell me stuff but don't bring them in don't bring <laughs> them in Gabe don't don't do that you know so that already shows me in my book that there's another side to this you know and I, I think that once we start holding people account other tribes are getting strict if you deal any drugs you're booted off for five years you know tribes are getting strict all around the country I just saw San Carlos if you have a felon you waive your um, you waive your dividends for three to five years, so so I mean that's they're getting strict and I don't know how our tribe will do it because um, our tribe we've always been where we look the other way, but you know I think I think in the long run, if people want transparency, you have to be honest with them, you have to be honest with them and and. I seen it and somebody looked at me and asked this, I asked a friend and I said, what you put on Facebook, was that the truth? And she, she got mad, Gabe, don't go there. And I said, why? Because I know what you told me in my office. And it wasn't even about me, it was about somebody else. But instead of just letting it go, they went out there and posted it. And I said, now you got these people commenting about this person and it wasn't even true. So, I mean, your emotions get to you angry somebody cuts you off somebody scratches your car you know or even even worse um, people just do bad things to you somebody might you know don't don't put it on social media because somebody told me today you know like I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people in Mescalero you know but it seems like there's a lot of them all they do is complain you know and it, to me I have congressmen senators State reps, I have lawyers, I have consultants, I have over 4,000 friends all over social media. If I was to write stuff so bad, what does it make me look like as a person, as yeah. a leader? And and our tribal members, they might have one state rep as a friend, or either one somebody that's a boss or something, and then they apply for a job. Then they wonder why they don't get it, or then because they're always complaining because nobody's going to want that kind of person that's just going to blast people on Facebook working for them or somebody's uh, a lot of people nowadays they're checking people's social media how are they are they how are they are they drinking are they doing stuff you know smoking marijuana you know on Facebook now people never used to do that stuff but now it's legal I guess and people are doing all kinds of stuff you know and that's and, and they don't understand what they do is really hurting themselves so if I could tell my people anything I would tell them be careful what you do or say because you never know who you're going to need or you never know who's watching you. Those people share what you're doing. You, you're really hurting yourself by doing it. That's a, that's a good way to put it. I, I don't think I could ever mm -hmm. uh, rent. A lot of people tell me that I have potential to do a lot of things and try, I should try for this and try for that. But I think the most intimidating thing that I picture myself doing is running for office or anything like that. I don't think I could. I'd, uh, well, for one, I don't know if it's in my personality, but two, 
man, there, there, there are no books on this, on what you're doing. Um, there's, there's no guidance. There's no, maybe you can talk to people that have, have run before, but whenever you go, when you get into politics, you leave the reservation, you go to college for it. There's, there's classes you take for it. There's a whole four year, four, five year program. Maybe get your master's, become your, become a senator or, you know, there's, there's steps you take, but here, you know, we, we live in a, in a unique environment and it's, it's intimidating and i don't know it's just it's a lot it's crazy um so kudos kudos to you for taking up this position <laughs> um chris i've been i've been hogging this um this conversation you have any any questions you want to i think we touched on a lot of good things uh i think we got um some good stuff um i like to say to anybody out there you know that's listening to this you're more than welcome to come on you know there's like we said there's a lot of good things in the tribe that just needs to be shed light on and uh, we want to we want to hear your story we want you to talk about it and that's what this is for you know to be positive and there's i i really believe that everybody has their purpose in life and uh they just got to find out what it is and they got to do it and to be the best at it and uh, if 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 you want to be on this podcast you know you're more than welcome to you know hit a hit up me or blue and uh, we'll get we'll get you on here right there's a there's a lot of positive stories out there that need to be be told and even um right now we have you know the our newly elected president on and he he's he's explaining like some of the troubles he has and stuff like that and it may not just be that you want to you have something that you want to share with the world but maybe there's a discussion that you want to have and this is a good place to do it we can make people aware of some of these issues that you might be dealing with and there might be someone like our president listening to the podcast and he's like i have an idea here's where you can go you know and so i think there's a there's a lot of positive that could come from this podcast and i'm glad that you were able to get on it and we made it happen i know you're very very busy maybe maybe in about six months we can do it again i wanted to do that do a little touch base and see how things have went you know we can look back at the podcast and you're like you know how we're talking about this and that and you know is there is there any change that has been made and see some of the steps that you've taken so one thing i'm thinking about doing is involving tribal members like taking whether it's an employee with me to dc or taking a, an elder or, or even creating like a traditional council elders council That'd but taking cool. somebody that sees what i do the walking the talking that it's not a game that it's not easy you know it's it's hard it's the hardest job I ever done in my life, and I've done a lot of jobs, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's more it's more stressful than a lot, you know. Cause, but um, I'm gonna take people so they can talk to the tribal members and they can share their experiences of how the president acted. I, I want to get a youth council, let the president of the youth council shadow me, you know, so they can see. Because once everybody gets involved, you know, cause I I'm gonna tell you, Louis and Chris, before. I, believe is that in the past you never ever seen an 18 year old asking questions about the tribe but since I've been in here everybody's getting into tribe and then I don't know if it's because I made an influence on them I've been the guest speaker at the school on bullying I've been a guest speaker like over 10 times like over eight years so I've seen people graduate and I've seen people and I talked to them if you walk through school you know who Gabe Aguilar is? Most of them are going to say, and people ask me to give them their autograph at the school and their <laughs> notebook. I, I stop and do it, you know, and the kids. But um, that's that's the change you're going to make is by instilling those younger ones 
people say, I wish the youth would give me a chance. You know, somebody wrote that. Why don't you give them a chance? Why don't you, um, why don't you do something to invest in them? But, um, you know, I, I'm telling you, like, I can't even explain this job. If you're wanting a job to be the president, just to, to have the title, it's not going to be easy. It's, it's a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, and it's, and it's, I plan on doing the best I can. And, and when, like I said, my goal is, and is just when I leave, is that people know how much, how genuine, genuine I was, how much I care, how much I, you should see how many birthday parties I've been invited to, how many houses I've been invited to. Me and my wife, my wife works at all the community. I show up to the birthday party still. I eat with the community. People approach me. They sit at my table. They talk with me. I eat at the elderly. I mean, I go to the places that people would never see me. And that's that's what makes me, you know. And I'm, I'm not afraid to, if we lose a tribal member, grab that shovel and dig right next to you. You know, we'll grab it and we'll, well, I'm not afraid to pick up trash. I'm not afraid to, you know, sit there and listen. So, awesome. That that is. Um, I, I I hope that you maintain that same. I hope you're not so tired by the by the time, <laughs> your six months, and is up and you're back in the podcast and you're like, you know what? I think I'm just gonna just hang it up. <laughs> Hopefully, um, you can just continue to find the strength to stay positive like that. And it's just so everyone's everyone that's listening is aware. You know, me and Chris, we're we're not here to promote any type of political advantage or do anything like that. We're just interested, and I'm glad that you were able to come on and, and spend some time with us. And uh, we wish you all the best. So. Yeah, really appreciate it, Gabe. Thank you know, it's been an honor talking with you. We thank you. Keep doing a good job and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Mescalero. As you probably know by now, you're listening to a podcast. You get a chance for some of the unique stories out there um, to be heard and, if anything, inspire our community.